Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast, where we're committed to helping you know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. Let's get to today's message. Well, today we are, like I said, we're, we're coming to the end of this series, and we're looking at James. If this is your first week with us, let me explain. James is called, or is known as a book in your Bible. It was, at the time, a letter that James wrote, and he wrote it to uh, the Christian church. James was one of the early pastors of the first Christian church, and he's also the brother of Jesus. And uh, James, of course, writes this letter to this church who's going through a very, very specific period of time. They were going through persecution because they had placed their faith in Christ. The, the religious leaders, the pastors of the day weren't having it, and so they gave uh, permission for them to be persecuted. So they were thrown in jail, they were being beaten, and some of them were even being killed. And so this is a bad season to be a Christ follower in this environment, and so the church is scattered They normally met publicly, but now they're scattered and they're hiding. And James writes the letter into this context, into a a season of division. And he's saying, hey, guys, let's hold it together. Let's keep it together because this is the first church Jesus commissioned to go and tell everybody. It has to succeed. And James, of course, is is telling people exactly what's on his mind. He's very, very direct. He's very much in your business. In fact, uh, this this letter or this book in the New Testament is considered to be the Proverbs of the New Testament because it's full of practical applications for your life. But the way James goes about doing it, well, it has a saying, dang, James, because he just says things that are so direct and so just like, ooh, wow, he doesn't, he doesn't flower it up at all. And so today, as we're working through this, if you're somebody that likes to shout out a hallelujah or an amen, today... Try a dang James on. In fact, let's all do it on three. One, two, three. There you go. Dang James. Appreciate it. So far in this letter, James has tackled the topics of trials and tribulations. He's tackled what to do when you're tempted. He's tackled the, the authoritativeness of God's word, that it really is God's word or it's not. There's no middle ground. He's talked about the divisive behaviors of favoritism. He's talked about the divisive subject of doctrine. He's even talked about how divisive our tongues can be. Boy, we get ourselves in trouble with the words that we say. And last week, we talked about the great need for wisdom, but not wisdom like the world has, wisdom from above. And when we have wisdom from above and we are walking wise, spiritually wise, what that looks like and how we behave. Today, we're going to... Finish up James chapter 4 and get a little bit into James chapter 5. So we'll be at James 4, 13 through 5, 11. And the, the overarching idea here is understanding the time that we are in. In, the, in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, it talks about uh, some men, and these men were from Issachar. And here's what it says about them, is that they understood the times, and because they understood the times, they knew what Israel was supposed to do. And I think, just like James does, that it's important that the people he's writing to and the people that I'm speaking to you to today, that's you, that we understand the times. That we understand the, that the times that we're living in and we understand the construct of time in general. Because if we do, then we will know what to do, just like the men of Issachar. 
And James is pulling back the curtain. He's offering us a perspective. He's letting us in on what was going on in their time and what's going on in our time because what happened to them is certainly happening to us. And we've seen that week after week after week as what he is speaking to that early church is very applicable to us. But if we can catch this, and I believe we can, it'll change everything for you today. So here's the big idea. It's from James chapter five, verse eight. He says, you too. So he's saying, I'm doing this. I'm going first because that's what leaders do, by the way. You go first, and then he says, you too, be patient and stand firm. Why? Well, because the Lord's coming. The Lord's coming. There's an urgency in James's writing here. He believes that it's almost time. He believes that it's almost time for the return of the king. And he's living like it is, and he's urging them to do the same. He's telling them, hey, be patient, which, by the way, Patience is not about waiting. You know that? Patience is, is a descriptor of the way that we wait. It's what you do while you're waiting that makes you patient, not that you waited. If you're just waiting, you're just waiting. But if you patiently wait, see, it's a descriptor for it, that means you're busy doing other things while you're waiting. It's important. So he says, don't, don't just sit around. Get busy while you wait. And then he says, stand firm. He's saying, hold your ground. Don't get tripped up. Don't get knocked down. Why keep busy and hold your ground? Because Jesus is coming. So you better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. (laughs) Jesus Christ is coming to town. It's almost time, guys. That music is about to start. A few more days, it'll be Halloween, and the next thing you know, Christmas music. Greatest time of the year. And now I just divided the room. (laughs) Jesus came to this earth. He lived a perfect and sinless life. He gave his life as a sacrifice, as a ransom for us, paid the price for our sins, died a brutal death, rose from the dead, and then ascends from heaven or ascends back to heaven. Before he does, he stops and he looks in the camera and he gives it an Arnold and says, I'll be back because he will be. Jesus will be back. Our risen king is coming. He's coming. Jesus will return. And James, James has the urgency of eternity in his voice here because when Jesus comes back, that's when eternity begins for the rest of us. You guys understand that, right? So he's saying, hey, let's keep busy living how God has called us. Let's keep doing the good works he's prepared for us. And then let's resist the enemy who is trying to destroy us and this church. We need to get this in our hearts. We need to adopt an eternal attitude and let it permeate permeate all that we do. And James, because James is certainly pointing to that. He's pointing to eternity here and having an eternal perspective and an attitude that we see the world through is important. Because I think it's easy to live our lives with our eyes on this earth, focusing on everything that is going on here, all that it has to offer. It's easy to be, it's easy to be enamored with fame. It's easy to, to have our eyes on money, on acquiring it, spending it, everything about money. It's easy to be focused on our possessions, on sex, on cars, on Instagram likes and your social media, on your houses, on your career, and on your success. It's easy to have our eyes set on these things, focused on these things. But James is calling us to lift our eyes, to gain a bigger picture, as it were, because he wants you to know there's more than just this life. And the more that he is talking about is more that God has for us. And oh, by the way, the more that God has for us is stuff that will last. It is eternal. 
Because I don't know if you've read this part in your Bible or not, but all of your stuff, your money, your degrees, your social media accounts, everything you have, your cars, your boats, your houses, all of it will pass away. But God's word will not. It is eternal. And the Bible says that when we pass from this earth, we enter into eternity. And what eternity looks like will depend on how we live our lives here now. Not that God is necessarily letting us shape what eternity looks like, like he's given us some kind of heavenly version of Minecraft so we can build it. I don't mean that. I mean that you and I have an impact on eternity, on who is there and what we enjoy there. The Bible says you have an impact on that. You do. It matters. We must keep eternity in view at all times so that we know what to do so we understand the times. Charles Spurgeon said this, unless we purposely live with a view to the next world, we cannot make much out of our present existence. C.S. Lewis said, aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you get neither. That's the tension. We live here and now, but we need to make sure we keep our eyes focused on eternity that is to come because everything we do here in this short amount of time impacts that time. So what does an eternal attitude look like? Meaning, if we have one, what do we do? How do we live our lives in response to an eternal attitude? So let's call today, the rest of today's message the ingredients of an eternal attitude, because there are four. The first thing you need to know, and the first ingredient to having an eternal attitude is that our time is short. Our time is short. You need to know that. This may seem like a no-brainer, but many of us, do we live with this view in mind? Do we keep the idea that our time is short here on earth in front of us? James starts out today, now listen, in James chapter 4, verse 13, which by the way, this now listen is a very parental tone, okay? He's trying to get your attention uh, in the same way that your parents tried to get your attention when they called out your middle name. When I heard James Aaron, I knew I was in trouble. When, you heard, when my kids heard Tyler James or Trent David or Kasaya Elise, buddy, there was some thunder coming on the other side of that call. And James is trying, dang James, dang James Aaron. Uh, so James is trying to get our attention in the same way. He's middle naming us saying, hey, listen, Linda, you need to pay attention because right now this is important. And he's going to get in your business, but he's going to get in your business to offer you some correction. We don't like that, though. But sometimes correction comes along to protect us. Correction can be protection. Man, that sounds like I want to be in there today. That sounds like a great time. Correction is protection. Like correction that you got as a little kid because maybe you played too close to the street. And mom and dad called out from the front porch, hey, get your butt back up in the yard. Because if you play out at the street, you might get hit by a car. It's not that that correction was just there to be mean or that they were doing it for fun. It was to protect you. Correction is protection. And so he's given us this warning today. He's saying, don't get caught up in this because there's death and injury in it. He says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we'll go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. He says, why you don't even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? Woo, great question, James. James is addressing them because they've got this attitude of, I'm just going to do whatever I want. I'm, I'm going to do it. And when you're focused on just this life, 
it's easy to just think that your plans are the only plans that matter. And he's reprimanding them. And he's not reprimanding them for making plans. He's reprimanding them because they did not include God in their plans. There's nowhere in there where they said, you know what? I wonder what God would have us do. They said, no, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. So confident as if they've got a crystal ball that they're looking in to try to determine what they're going to be able to do. And they've left God and his plans out of their plans. But that's not allowed for us. Do you know why? We don't belong to ourselves anymore. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 6 that we have been bought with a price. We are not our own. God paid for us with his son, Jesus. Now, we're not his slaves. We're his children. That means that his best for us is what we need to attend to. He's our heavenly father, our spiritual parent, and he is the authority. He says, no, I don't want you to live that way. We belong to God. And without an eternal view here, without looking down the way and saying, okay, how am I going to live my life in order to impact eternity? We make plans based on our earthly desires. We do what we want. We go there. We make money. We go there. We set up shop. And our eyes are on the earth. And so we have an earthly attitude. But when our eyes are on heaven, when we have an eternal attitude, we live differently. We see differently because we know our time is short. We don't get to make plans like we, well, like we would like to. We need his plans. Why? Because James asks, what is your life? And he tells us, you're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. We're just here for a little bit, guys. That's it. We're all born. We live our lives. Then death comes. And it's easy to forget that there's more than just this life. It's easy to let that slip from our mind. And so we develop an attitude of self-sufficiency. And when earth is all you have, we run our lives according to our earthly desires. But earth is not all we have. Can I have that, babe? And I'm going to give you this. Got, a, got an illustration for you today. You guys like sermon illustrations? All right. So... This, <laughs> is your life, right? And you say this is your life, there's a beginning and there's an end. But actually, this isn't your life. This is the totality of it. And the truth is, is that this right here, this little guy, this is your life right here. It's very, very short. Ooh. And if this is your life, then this is now eternity that goes on and on without end. Oh, wait, what just happened? He's a wizard, Harry. Oh, that's better. I like this. So this is eternity. Eternity has no end. It just goes on and on without end. That's why it's easy. If we think this is all we have, if this is life right here, then we're going to live it to the fullest. We're going to do everything we can. YOLO, right? But this is not our reality. This is our reality. And this, our lives, must be connected to what is to come. It must be. We need to realize that we are woven into eternity. And that what we do here in this short amount of time, affects the rest of it. Thank you. Take that for me. Appreciate you.
Don't expose the gaff. She just did. <laughs> We're part of something much bigger. What's that? No, that's not real. That's not real. Sorry. It's a trick. But we need to understand this today. We need to get it. Anybody else warm in here? I am warm. I am sweating real bad. If my wife and Pastor Kyle feel great, it is too warm in here. That is for sure. That is my litmus test always. Like, babe, are you, are you comfortable? And she's like, yeah. She's like, then it's too hot, isn't it? Yes, it is. Dear Lord Jesus, it's a fire. Maybe one of our, our excellent host members would go right into that place and just dial it down a couple for us. That would be great. Just like one or two would be perfect on each of them. And then a fan, personal air conditioner. Ah, our time here on this earth is short, and, and it means we need to live differently, guys. We need to live differently. We need to get this today because understanding the times, understanding that it's short is important. It changes our agenda because... We have a lot, well, when you have a lot of something, you use it frivolously, uncaringly, unintentionally, right? But when you have a small amount of something, you use it very, very sparingly, very specifically, very intentionally. When you know that you have a limited amount of something, it brings focus. And it brings into focus the things that are important, the relationships that are important, the stuff that is important. It energizes us and shifts our energies to the things that are most important to us. My dad passed away in December of 2021. And he passed away due to complications uh, from COVID and other things. And I did not know, none of my family knew, that our time with dad was short. He wasn't terminally ill. He had had a, a very small stroke a few weeks before. But he came through that. He was home. And most people, if you remember that season, as scary as COVID was, most people, 90-some percent, high number. I don't even want to misquote and cause division in the room, but most people lived through it. And so we were like, okay, mom just had it. She lived through it. She's going to be fine. Dad gets it. Uh-oh. Dad's in the hospital. And here's the difference. If we knew our time with dad was short, there would have been a lot more text messages there'd have been a lot more phone calls. We were not allowed to get in and see dad while he was in the hospital. But had I known time was short, I probably would have knocked somebody out to get into the room to see my dad. I'd have gone to jail. Because it, it had been important. Because I knew my time was limited. As it was, I didn't have a whole lot of phone calls and chats with my dad. The last call I had was a FaceTime with him just before they intubated him and it would be the last conversation I ever had with my father. My point is, when we realize something is limited, boy, it brings into focus the things that are most important to us, doesn't it? Uh, we would do things different. I know that I would have done things different with my final moments in the last few weeks of my dad's life had I known that this was it. Our lives are but a mist, the hearing gone. So what do we do? The great theologian Tim McGraw said this, Someday I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying, like tomorrow was a gift and you've got eternity to think about it. What did I do with it? There's some urgency there, isn't there? That's a serious question. Our time is short. How will you want to answer that question someday when you stand before your creator? What did you do with the short amount of time you were given? 
Martin Luther recommends this and says that we should live as though Christ died yesterday, rose today, and is returning tomorrow. And if we live with this eternal view in mind, our time is short. It'll bring focus to what matters most. And the gospel, my friends, the message of what Jesus has done is what matters most. It is the answer. He is the answer to how everyone will spend their eternity. What do we do with Jesus? That's so important that we answer that, that well. Because what we do with Jesus impacts eternity. Because I don't mean to bring it down, and I'm not this yelling and screaming and shouting and fire and brimstone preacher. But I'm also not going to hide from you the fact that heaven's real, and so is hell. And people are going to both. You say, well, I don't know if I could serve a God who would send people to hell. God doesn't send anybody to hell. When you spend your entire life resisting and refusing to allow God entry into your life, when you leave this, this, this life, you enter into eternity getting exactly what you spent your life trying to get, an absence of God's presence. That's what hell is. Hell was never created for you. It was created for the devil and his angels, the demons. It was, considered, it was, it was created for him. But people will go there if you don't want God in your life. If you simply accept what Jesus has done, heaven is yours. He paid the price for you. So it brings this question up. What would I do differently if I only had 30 days to live? What would you do differently? Maybe some of you needed to write that down and ask that question later on and reflect on it. Maybe have a conversation with a friend or your spouse. What would you do differently? That's the first ingredient to an eternal attitude. The second one is, is our purpose is God's plan. So James is reprimanding them because they have their plans without consulting God's plans. And he says, here's what they should do instead in verse 15. He said, instead, instead of saying, hey, we got this and we're gonna do this and go there, your life's just a vapor. He says, instead, because it's a vapor, because things are short, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. If it's God's will. Now, I'm not saying that before you do anything, you need to say if it's the Lord's will. Alarm goes off in the morning. Well, if it's the Lord's will, I'll uh, go ahead and get out of bed now. <laughs> Turns out on a lot of days, it is not the Lord's will. I'm not sure if it's his or mine, but I'm not, I'm not saying that, that you need to do that before everything that you do, but Laying your day, laying your life before him. God, what would you have me do? It is his perfect will that we need to be walking in because his perfect will is good. It's good for us. and He has that plan. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that, that God made us right through Christ so that we could do the good works that he has for us. He has a plan. He has a purpose for us. James goes on and he says, that As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. He says, yeah, you can have your plans, but you better include God in them. Proverbs 16.9 says that we make plans, but it's God who orders our steps. It's important that we include him in it. Because even if we're the ones choosing the destination, God's going to lay the path for how you get there. And you want that in your life. I promise you that. But James is calling out this word boasting. And boasting is essentially doing things in your own strength. It's doing things without God in them. That's what boasting is. It's excluding him, no reliance on him. And James is calling it out and says that it's just straight up prideful and that it's evil. Because we aren't going to be here forever. And God's plans are good and ours without him are full of pride, evil, and sinful. 
if you don't know what God's plan for your life is, if you don't know what he has for you to do, that's why we have Growth Track. Growth Track happens, it's the first four Sundays of every month. It's an easy way for you to discover why God has you here. Because we take you through a process where you discover your design. See, we believe that the way that God has designed you will reveal your destiny or his destiny for you. That your design reveals your destiny means that the gifts that he's given you, the talents he's put inside of you, the interests he's given you, those things all combined make up who you are and it is who God has shaped you to be. And we want to show you that the way he has made you speaks to what he has for you to do. That there is something for you that God has redemptive work for you to do. That once you say yes and you join the team, you join the family, he's got good stuff for you to do. You don't need to do it to be saved. Salvation is free for you. We talked about that a few weeks ago. But once you are saved, let's give attention to what he's got for us. Don't know why you're here. Don't know what you can do. Don't know what you're good at. Go to Growth Track. We'll help you figure that out. Step one starts next Sunday. You can jump right in. It's right after service over here in the Growth Track area. Make sure you go. Mark Twain said this about, about finding out why you're here. He said, the two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. I want that for all of you. I want you to know why you're here. I want you to know that God has a plan for your life that is better than anything you can imagine. Man, we believe that so much, don't we, Simple Church? We do. And there's a warning from James here, and it's why we want to help you discover your purpose and live out God's plan. Because he said, if anyone then, if anyone knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it's sin for them. Dang, James. You know the good you ought to do and you don't do it. It's sin. You say, well, I don't like that word thin. It's just an icky word. Let me explain. Sin is just missing the mark. You miss the mark. God has a mark. He's got a standard for you. He's got a way that he wants you to live your life. And when you live any way that is opposite that or in opposition to that, it's sin. That's all that means. Don't get so bent out of shape. We all sin, even the guy talking to you. You know God has a plan, but you don't attend to it, and you're missing out. My thing is, is I don't know how FOMO doesn't grip you. This is FOMO is the fear of missing out. And Jesus promised us a full and fulfilled life. How do you not want that? Because I want that, my friends. I want a full and fulfilled life, but I know that it comes because my Bible tells me from living out the purpose God has for my life. That's what it comes from. So it begs the question, do I know and am I living God's purpose for my life? Are you? Now, I already know some of you. I've had conversations with you, and it goes like this. When I start talking about God's plan and purpose, where you go, nah, I'm too young. I couldn't, I got, God couldn't use me, I'm too young. But the Bible says, don't let anybody despise your youth. God uses small things, little things, to make a big difference all throughout Scripture. He uses those who are discounted and considered less than and looked down upon. He does it all the time. And young people, I'm telling you, you matter and you can make a difference. You say, well, when does that start? Right away. Because listen to me, there's child dedications today, there's babies up here, and it brought people into this room today. You said, did, did God use a baby to get people here to hear about the gospel? Maybe. Uh-oh. Some of your friends and family just that a little bit. I'm going to hide over here in this little, it's glad it's dark in here today. You're not too young. Some of you say, well, I'm too old. 
I'm too old to, to, to serve. You know what? No, you're not. I need more mature believers here in this place. You know why? Because these whippersnappers need encouraged, by goodness. <laughs> Y'all have a wealth of life and wisdom that you can share. You belong. I need you to help shape the future of this church. You belong here. Say, well, I'm a new Christian, so I couldn't possibly have purpose. Nope. Let me tell you something. If you've thrown up your hand and said yes to Jesus, you have purpose. He's got a plan for you. And if you've taken one step in your spiritual journey, that means you're one step ahead of somebody else, and you can invite them to take the step that you have taken, which may just be to come to church. You say, well, but, but Aaron, I don't know how to get anybody saved. That's okay. I do. You get them here. I'll do it. Invite them at the movies. It's a great time. Just throwing it back. Just throwing it back. <laughs> Invite them. You have a, a part to play. You're not discounted because you're a new Christian. Little, little, I'm just a baby Christian. I can't do anything. Yes, you can. <laughs> or, or maybe, maybe you're somebody who says, nah, Aaron, I don't have a, God doesn't have a purpose for me because I've done too much. You don't know what I've, what I've snorted. You don't know what I've injected into my veins or what I've drank, what I've smoked. You don't know the things that I've said, the people that I've hurt. You don't know who's hurt me. You, I can't be used. There's this thing called redemption, my friends. It's where God takes everything that you've messed up in your life, and he redeems it. He buys it back and assigns purpose to it. What that means is God turns your mess into your message and your past into a pass. Because, see, that pass will get you in front, of place, in front of people and in places that I can't get to because your experience and your pain is different than mine. God has work for you. He has a purpose for you. He has a plan, and you've got a purpose. So the ingredients of an eternal attitude is that your time is short. God has a plan and purpose. And the third one is, is our possessions are not our own. This is going to be really popular. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> Nothing you have belongs to you. You are a steward of that thing. The picture of a steward never became so clear to me until I watched Lord of the Rings Return of the King. That's the third one, by the way. And we meet the steward of Gondor. He's not the king. He sits in a really small chair down at the base of the king's throne. But he's managing it in absence of the king. And that's what you're doing. Everything you have, everything that we are experiencing, the air that we breathe, it's all God's. He's got the whole world in his hands, y'all. It's all his. And here, possession is nine-tenths of the law. And if that applies to God, well... He's got the whole world in his hands. It's his. He has possession of us. We are his special possession. We are his children. And everything that we have, everything in your pocket, everything under, uh, th th that you have at your house, all of your possessions are not yours. They're just yours to manage. Your money, uh, your, your, uh, your kids, your spouse, your pets, all of it, your time. That means that what God says that we do with those things is important. Because see, if you're the owner, then your will and what you want done with us thing that you own is supreme. But when someone else owns it, what they want done with it is supreme, right? And if we understand that our stuff ain't our stuff, it's his, well, then we live differently. We live differently. So here we go. James is going to go at us again. 
with a now listen. That's how it starts off. Now listen, you rich people. You say, oh, all right, well, I'm counted out. That's not me. No, yes, you are. If you live here in America today, you are in the top 1% of the wealth in the world. This is talking to us. It's talking to you. He says, now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that's coming on you. Uh Uh-oh, bad times are ahead, you rich people. He says, your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. Dang, James. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. That's the real issue here. James is coming at them pretty strong because they're wealthy, and they're wealthy to a point they've got so much of it. And they're living their life without God in their frame of reference because they're living their life with, are you ready? Financial security. Ooh. Do you know financial security is the greatest illusion? There is no such thing as financial security. Money comes and money goes. I've been, I've done okay, and then I've lost it all. I like it better when I have money than when I don't have money. I'll just tell you that. But money comes and goes. You are one tragedy away from your entire financial security disappearing. We all are. We're just a moment away from it. Money does not buy you security. Money does not buy all the things that we think it can. Money can't buy you respect. It can't buy you love, hope, faith, peace, forgiveness, grace, mercy. None of it. None of it. The bills that we have, our currency says, in God we trust, but it's really in money that we tend to trust. We put our faith in it, saying it will provide everything that I need. But that's God's role, not money's role. Jesus warned about this and said we can't love God and love money. He said because if we love one, we're going to hate the other. You just can't do that. So where are you at? And by the way, it's not money that's the problem. It's the love of money that's the problem. It's the root of all kinds of evil. And the warning James is giving us here is clear especially because he mentions gold corroding. Do you realize that gold doesn't corrode? He's saying, hey, the stuff that you think that is solid that isn't going anywhere, guess what? It's gonna go too. Your financial security isn't a real thing. It's an illusion. It will fade away. So don't put your faith and your trust in money. It can't save you. And he calls out three things that we've been doing with money. He says, you've hoarded, in, in verse five, or chapter 5, verse 1, he says, you've hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, he, now he's yelling at them. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. Basically, at this time, they, they were letting the workers go out and work, and, and they were eating and drinking and living high on the hog. But they weren't paying their workers. And this is an injustice. James is saying, hey, look, there's injustices all around you, rich people, and you're not doing anything about it. My goodness, those kids are having an awesome time today. Isn't there a quiet time at some point in time? No, I'm just kidding. They're fine. I'm glad. Everybody glad your kids are having a wild time back there? Yeah, I am too. They say, wear them out. Let them run. So that way there'll be a nap time afterwards. Let's go. I know you. He's saying, hey, there's tons of injustices here and you're doing nothing about them and you're the ones capable of doing it. He said, you've lived on earth in luxury 
and self-indulgence. You know what luxury is? Luxury is I've got everything taken care of, but I've got the nicest of, of everything taken care of me, right? Like you all know, do everybody remember a little Geo Metro? Geo Metro was this little box kind of car. Listen, it's got four wheels and, and it's got doors. It'll get you from point A to point B. That's what you need. That's, that's what you need. Some of you guys are like, yeah, I'll have the Geo Metro, but I'll have it the Bentley version, please. This is luxury. It's still got four wheels and still gets you to point, from point A to point B. But it's luxury. We're spending a lot of money on it. It's extra comfort. And listen, I get it. But luxury is not what's needed. What he's saying is you have so much that now you're not even paying for what you need. You're getting the nicest of everything you need while other people are suffering injustices. He said, you've fattened yourself in the day of slaughter. That's what he's comparing it to. By the way, what he's speaking to is the same reason why I get really confused when somebody's on death row and they get a last meal. That's like putting a gas in a tank of a vehicle that I'm about to sell. That don't make no sense to me. Uh, listen, I'm not, I'm not saying, listen, I'm not getting in that space and saying, well, that's just cruel and inhumane, Aaron. Why wouldn't you give them the last meal? I'm just saying, like, think about it. You're feeding them. Food is fuel, and you're, you know, anyway, okay, all right, so you make the connection, but. He said, you fatten yourselves in the day of slaughter, which they, of course, would have understood. The day of slaughter is the day they're going to kill the cows. They're not feeding the cows on that day. The day of slaughter was also a day of harvest for them. So that, that was the day that they would have harvested everything and they had an intent. What they would do on the harvest day is they would bring their first fruits to God. They would say, okay, we need, before we eat anything, before we sell anything, before we do anything with these animals, we're going to give first to God, the first fruit of all of our increase. That's what they would have recognized this as. He says, you've condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. So the three things they were doing, they're hoarding, they had more than they needed, they were unjust with their blessings. They failed to help those who were suffering with injustices. And they were now wasting it, using it all in unnecessary luxury and self-indulgence. And then he gets to that, that, that uh, day of the slaughter. And what they're talking about here is the tithe. They're talking about giving to God and doing it first. That's what a tithe is. A tithe is about giving to God first, but it also literally means a tenth. It's a principle that existed in the Old Testament before the law. It was included in the law. Jesus confirms it in the New Testament. This is a practice we still do today for the support of this ministry, that we give to God first and that we give to him 10% of all that we earn. Why? Well, because when we do that in Malachi 3, it tells us that it breaks the curse off our lives. You say, what curse? This curse of self-indulgence. We learn to trust God. That's what Deuteronomy tells us tithing does. It teaches us to trust God by always putting him first. And we do that with our finances, the thing that is the number one contender for that place in our heart that God is supposed to sit. And so we have to trust God with the tithe. Because when we do, when we give him that first 10%, we're saying, God, we trust that you can do more with 90% than I can do with 100%. And God says, return it to me. And says when we don't, that we're robbing him. But the truth of the matter is, is God owns it all, doesn't he? He owns it all. He owns the 90% he lets us keep. He owns that. And be, as a result of that, we need to be asking above the tithe, how can I be a blessing with my blessings? Regularly asking God, you've left me with this 90%, what would you have me do with it? 
Would you have me, how, where would you have me be intentionally generous to give to? Would it be to support a missionary? Would it be maybe to go on a mission trip? Would it be to sponsor a kid through one child like a lot of us do? Would it be to provide brand new equipment and a brand new environment for our kids back here in the kids ministry? Like I love hearing that they're having fun, but also I would like it if those walls were a little thicker and that environment was a little different because the kids don't care that they're in the coolers. Like, let's just be real for a second. The kids don't care that they're in the Aldi coolers. It's a cool environment. I'm here all week. Try the veal. But there's appropriate environments for the kids. And that comes with an $80,000 price tag. What about supporting the Heart Food Pantry? There are food insecurities that are here in this city. It's one of the number one concerns from our leadership. Are people eating? Are kids eating? How about supporting them monthly? They have a, a, a plan called 25 to Thrive. $25 a month helps them do a lot. But maybe it's just to leave a big tip today when you go to a restaurant. I know tip culture is out of control, but if you really have a waitress serving you, go ahead and leave a big tip. Be generous. Give as the Lord leads. That's what I want you to do. God, what do I do with all this stuff? It's all his, your time, your treasure, and your talent. And since it belongs to him, what will you do and what will God have you do with that remaining 90% to be a blessing? Listen to me, a tithing church will always be a generous church and a generous church will always impact eternity. It will always happen. So three ingredients for eternal attitude so far. Your time is short. God has a plan and our stuff belongs to God. And here's the last one. Your trials are temporary. You know, you've lived through every bad day so far. You've survived them all. Every bad thing you're gonna go through will come to an end. Trials are temporary, but your joy is eternal. And let me just tell you something. Even if you don't live through your trial and you wind up exiting this life and entering eternity, joy. Because to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. Oh, oh, what joy. What joy. If you've heard you can't keep a good man down, I'm gonna tell you you can't keep a saved man down. You just can't because you can do your worst. I still win. No weapon formed against me will prosper. Take my life and I enter eternity and stand with my Lord. And I'm okay with that. I might lose money in this life. I might lose my health. I might lose, lose loved ones and opportunities and jobs, but I cannot lose my eternity with him. I am safe and secure in that. It's a beautiful thing. Whatever I'm facing on this earth is temporary. Remember, our time is short because we are not citizens of this earth. We are just passing through. We are citizens of heaven. That is our home. And if we keep our eyes here on earth, then that is all we will ever have. And trials, when we're focused here on this earth, seem so hard and so unfair and so defeating. And James knows we need an eternal attitude in facing trials. So he says in, in verse 7, be patient, which means endure. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. He's saying, don't give up. God's not done with you yet. Don't back down. You've come too far to turn back now. Don't let go. Hold on to God's promises and his word. Why? Because the Lord's coming. And patiently endure, like a farmer. A farmer can't see what the seeds are doing once he plants them in the ground. But he trusts, and he endures. He can't control the weather, but he trusts, and he endures. He can't control the yield of the crop, and yet he trusts and he endures. Especially when things aren't going our way, we need to trust and endure. 
Remember that when they're not going our way, they are going God's way. And that God will use everything that happens in our life for our good and for his glory. James finishes up and says, See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop? Patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. And then he has a last thing to encourage us. Don't grumble against one another, which, by the way, comes from an earthly view. If you're a complainer, it's because you're focused on temporal things around you. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as the example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. That's an eternal view. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. By the way, Job lost his kids, lost his wealth, lost his health, lost his livestock and his friends in the process. And God restored him and gave it all back to him. That's what happened with Job. God always does what God says he's going to do. And what he did in Job's life is what he's promised to do in our life. And found in James 1.1, remember that it says that count it all joy when trials and tribulations come your way. They're temporary, but God's using them for your good to help make us into the image of Jesus. And he does this because he loves us. And that's the biggest piece. And the last thing James says to us is the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. He loves us. He's a loving father. Now, not like your earthly father, but like our heavenly father. He's perfect. He sees us. He loves us full of compassion and mercy. He doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us what we don't deserve. He has good things for us. And he invites us to a life that is full and fulfilled. But that life comes on the decision to invite God into your life. So here's the question. Where do I need to invite God's power to do a work in my life? What do you need? What area are you struggling? You say, Aaron, I'm, I, I've got some issues. I've got some struggles. I've got some weakness. Good, because the Bible tells us that where you're weak, God's strength is made perfect because he wants to partner with you. He wants to show up with you. Your weakness is not a surprise to God. He's very familiar with it. So lean in and get what you need. Friends, I gotta wrap up today's service, but I need you to know an eternal attitude is so important. We need to live our lives focused on what's to come and not what's here and now. Amen, everybody? Let's pray. Lord, this is a work that I need you to do in us. Help us realize our time is short, that you've got a plan and we've got a purpose. All of our stuff belongs to you, God, and, and ultimately, Lord, help us to lean into you. Help us to trust you. Help us, God, to experience your power, your grace, and your mercy especially in all the trials and the tribulations that we face. Lord, help us to keep in mind, too, that, that this life is short, that eternity awaits us, and that what we do now matters. Let that bring into focus what matters most today. Now, as I'm continuing to pray, there's somebody here in this room, you're ready to make a decision for Jesus. And I'm gonna pray that prayer, and if that's you, why don't you pray with me? If you're gonna pray with me, would you just lift up your hand and say, Aaron, I'm doing that right now, I'm gonna join you. Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you, I see you. Thank you. Say, Jesus, I need you. Everybody out loud, nobody praying alone. Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit and make me brand new. Show me how to live for you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Come on, Simple Church, celebrate with those who said yes to Jesus today.
Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. We hope it has given you hope and helped you know God a little bit more. The goal of this podcast is to reach beyond our walls and connect with people far from God. If you'd like to join us in doing that, there are several ways for you to get involved. First, you can pray for us as a church. Prayer is our first response and our greatest resource. Pray for opportunities that we can boldly step into, make a difference in our community and around the world as we proclaim the, the good news of Jesus. Second, share this episode on your social media accounts and directly with your friends. It's easy to do through whatever platform you're currently using to listen to this message. Just click share and follow the prompts. Finally, you can support the mission through your generosity. The best part about this is that it's also an act of worship where you express the priority of your love for God and others through your finances. Links to give are in the show notes or simply visit www.mysimple.church giving. We are so thankful you joined us today. Hope you'll consider joining the mission of our church in some way. Thank you again, and we'll see you at next week's episode.